Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And before today's episode is over with, I am going to be giving you my predictions for what's going to happen tonight on Royal Rumble. But without further ado, let's start the show. Raw opens up with a weigh-in for Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley for their match at the Royal Rumble for the WWE Championship. Bobby Lashley comes out here, and he looks like he's ready for a comp- uh, competition tonight. He has his black, like, athletic, like, pants on, his wrestling boots on, a black, like, sports jacket, and a black cap. While Brock Lesnar, on the other hand, he comes out here in his, well, his street clothing, if you will. A flannel? No, not a flannel. A jacket? His regular, like, tank top and blue jeans and cowboy boots. And he's now rocking a black cowboy hat to this event. And he also has the, uh, he has his hair, like, braided up. He only likes to have that one Brock ponytail. But now, instead of it being, like, a ponytail, he has it now in braid. Uh, Bobby does the whole way in. Brock does the whole way in. But Brock doesn't take any of this seriously. He's just here just having fun. And Bobby gets on the microphone and tells Brock, that he's pissing him off because he's not taking Bobby seriously. Brock tells Bobby, listen, I'm not taking this seriously because this isn't serious at all. Bobby tells Brock that this title reign will be the shortest reigns of Brock's whole entire career. Brock then grabs Paul Heyman and tells Paul Heyman, listen, let's think about this. Next Sunday, you open up the headlines and it's going to read, new WWE champion, Bobby who and he leaves the ring so now we have an angry pissed off Bobby Lashley as Brock Lesnar is leaving the ring and Brock is just smiling and just not taking Bobby no bit serious and we'll see if that comes to bite him in the butt at the Royal Rumble next thing that we have is a one-on-one match between Bianca Belair going against Queen Selena Vega Bianca wins the match by pinfall after countering Queen Selena's code red and turning it into the KOD for the win after this, we have a one-on-one matchup for the United States Championship between the champion Damian Priest and his challenger Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens gets this match because he beat Damian Priest last week. This week, he beats him again, but by disqualification, when Kevin Owens tried to pull the same trick that he did last week on Raw, when he told the ref that his arm was hurting, but this time, Damian Priest didn't pay attention to that. He just straight up started attacking Kevin Owens' arm and kept on attacking it until the referee pulled Damian apart and had to look at Kevin but Priest continued to attack Kevin Owens. He goes over to him. Kevin Owens uh, grabs Damian Priest's head and uh, pulls it down on the top rope. Tries to get him with a roll-up. Priest kicks out, and he clotheslines Kevin Owens. Now he's snapped into his whole Damian mode. Then Damian Priest starts attacking Kevin Owens. It gets to a point. They're at the court. They're at the turnbuckles. He starts beating down on Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is uh, in defense mode. He's covering himself up. The referee constantly gets in between Damian and Kevin Owens. He gives... Damien to the count of five. Damien doesn't break it. Uh, the referee calls for disqualification. Uh, so this is how Damien is still the United States champion because his anger got the better of him, but Kevin Owens still won the match. Uh, after this, we do see a little snippet of Sonya Deville kind of like berating Damien Priest and telling him, that, listen, he needs to get his whole anger management thing under control because if he doesn't get it under control, he could either be suspended or or strength of the championship, or even something probably even worse. So this is telling us that we're going to see probably something bad happen to Damian Priest probably within the next couple of weeks. That's how they literally, that's how they lay their little nuggets in. 
Uh, the next thing that we have is a six-woman tag team matchup between the teams of Dana Brooke, Rhea Ripley, and Liv Morgan going against the team of Carmella, Nikki, A.S.H., and Tamina. Rhea, Liv, and Dana win the match by uh, Rhea making Carmella submit when Rhea puts Carmella in the prism trap, which is an inverted cloverleaf uh, submission, and Carmella just taps out. After the match, we have Liv, Dana, and Rhea posing, but Nikki comes from behind and attacks Rhea and leaves the ring before Rhea can even get to her feet. So this is continuing the feud between Nikki and Rhea Ripley. More or less, it's probably going to play a part into the Royal Roma match tonight. Uh, next thing that we have is the Alpha Academy's Academic Challenge, and they did specify that this will be a three-events uh challenge which means that the first event happens this week probably the next event happens next week and then the following week we'll have our third event and the first event well the first challenge is a spelling bee and the winners of the challenge gets to pick the next uh week's challenge rk bro wins the spelling bee after chad gable misspells dissolution gable spelled dissolution and that was wrong otis he had to spell emanto and I believe that's like some type of cheese, but he almost got it spelled right, but he missed the A in the word. It's E-M-M-E-N-T-A-L. Otis spelled E-M-M-E-N-T-L. Riddle had to spell calibration, and he spelled it right because he remembered calibration is another word for measuring. And he said, oh, yeah, like when I measure someone from ounces to pounds, and then they had to stop him like because Riddle's whole character is kind of like a pot smoker thing but it's wwe's pg you can't really say that on television and orton had to spell dumbbell anyway after the whole challenge is done gable's upset because he causes a travesty because he still thinks he's the smartest man in the whole ring but orton has to tell him to shut up he's not the smartest man and as a matter of fact he wants to challenge gable to a match right now to shut him up so that's where we're headed to right now randy orton with riddle in his corner going against chad gable with otis in his corner Randy wins the match by pinfall when he hits an RKO on Gable for the win. After the match, Riddle does get on the microphone and he lets Alpha Academy know that next week their academic challenge will be a scooter race. I don't know how that's going to work with Otis being a bigger guy. Scooter's not really handling guys of Otis's uh, body weight, but we'll see how that works. After this, we have a one-on-one match between AJ Styles and Austin Theory. AJ wins the match by pinfall when he's a phenomenal forearm on Theory for the win. They got enough time to get the match over with the crowd, and the match was into the crowd was into the match. That's all I can say for that. After this tag team matchup between the Street Profits and the Mysterios, the Mysterios won the match by pinfall when Montez Ford caught Ray trying to hit the 619, and he put Ray on his shoulders, but Ray was able to hit a roll-up on Montez for the win. After the match, though, the Mysterios posed, and then Dominic tried to throw his father out of the ring, but Ray was able to counter that and throw Dominic out of the ring. Ray looked at Dominic and just told him, hey, son, I'm better than you at this. Montez Ford comes into the ring, and he throws Ray Mysterio out of the ring. And then you get Angelo Dawkins throwing Montez Ford out of the ring. And now you get the Dirty Dogs coming in out of nowhere and throwing out Angelo Dawkins. Now, the Dirty Dogs are the only people in the ring now, and now they're being surrounded by the Street Profits and the Mysterios. And once this happened, all the teams get in there, and they just start throwing out the Dirty Dogs. And they have the four-man, like, stare-down that they do at the uh, Final Four at the end of the Royal Rumble. This is showing you a simulation of what could happen at the Royal Rumble and who could literally 
be the last people standing in the Rumble, meaning that everybody's for themselves. Teammates are going to turn on each other, and that's what the segment was really about. Now it's time for the main event of Raw. Well, the main event segment of Raw, if you will, is all about Mar- uh, Miz throwing his wife, Maurice, a basically a birthday shower, if you will. He's not really giving her anything but just birthday presents. She comes out, Miz gives her uh, a painting of him and her in like, I want to say like French, Miz in like a French general suit and like his Maurice like in a pretty dress or whatever. And he gives her a blinged out pink purse. I ain't gonna lie, the purse was pretty bling blingy. And I ain't gonna front. If I had a girl, I would give it to her. Um, They had a box, a golden box in the middle of the ring. And Miz asked Maurice, did you give that to me? And Maurice told Miz, no, this is my birthday. Why would I be giving you anything? So now you got them wondering, okay, what's in the middle of the ring? What's inside the box? They have one of their security guards get in there. And check the box. Once the box is ripping open, it's a brick on a mantle. It's basically to antagonize Edge and Beth because Miz had Maurice hit Beth behind in the back last week with a brick that was disguised inside Maurice's purse. The Miz is now antagonizing Edge and Beth, and we know where this is headed. But before Edge and Beth do come out, Miz tells everybody in the arena to get up and sing happy birthday to Maurice. Once they do that, Edge and Beth comes out. They tell Miz and Maurice to listen. You guys got us last week. You've been getting us for the past couple weeks. Fine, you got it. But at the Royal Rumble, there's nowhere to hide. We're going to go in there and beat you up. As a matter of fact, we're going to give the people a small taste of what's going to happen at the Royal Rumble right now. So now we have Beth and Edge walking down to the ring, and you have the Miz's security guards trying to stop Edge and Beth, but we all know how that works. It doesn't happen. They get beat up and beat up, but this does allow Miz and Maurice to live, leave out of the ring, and you just see Edge powerbomb one of the security guards right through the table that was holding the gifts and want Maurice's cake as well, and you have Edge and Beth staring off and looking at Miz and Maurice as Raw ends, and that is your wrestling highlights of the week for Raw. Now on to NXT. NXT starts off with the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classics. Uh, corner final matchup between MSK and Jacket Time. MSK win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag team finisher, which is an assisted blockbuster on Kushida for the win. So now MSK has advanced to the semifinals of the tournament, which they will be facing Idris Nafi and Malik Blade next. It doesn't get clarified whether it be next week or not, but that's the next team they're supposed to be facing off. After this, we get Legado del Fantasma's whole faction, which is Joaquin Wilde, Raul Mendoza, Electra Lopez, and Santos Escobar coming down to the ring. And once they enter it, Santos has a microphone in his hands. Santos is basically out here to talk about how he doesn't like how Braun Breaker was basically shot straight into stardom as soon as he got on NXT. He doesn't like that people are basically calling Braun the future, and he, and he especially doesn't like that Braun won the NXT Championship before he did. Santos talks about how both of them come from a wrestling family, but the difference is Santos' family taught him about respect, while Braun's family didn't teach Braun anything about respect. Braun comes out and tells Santos, listen, only thing you had to do was issue out the challenge, and I accept, and I will accept it. That's all you got to do. Santos tells Braun that it's not on Braun's time. It's on Santos' time. And that he's going to teach the young champion that. 
Santos and Electra leave the ring, but Mendoza and Wild try to attack Braun, but Braun was able to handle both of them and send them to the outside of the ring and basically retreating. It does get announced, however, that next week on NXT, Braun has to find a partner to face off against Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wild on NXT next week. It also does get announced that Diamond Mind, which is the Kree Brothers, and Roger Strong will go against the team of Imperium. Gunter and the NXT Tag Team Champions, Fabian Eigner and Marcel Bartel. Anyway, next thing that we have here is a false count anywhere match between Solo Sequoia and Boa. This was a real brutal match between the two. I mean, they were using everything. Uh, tables, I believe trash cans, chairs, kendo sticks. I mean, they were throwing it all out here with these two. But anyway, Solo wins the match by pinfall when Solo puts... Boa on a table that's on the outside of the ring. He gets on top of the top turnbuckle. And then he jumps off and hits a Uso splash on Boa. It covers him for the win on the outside. Now, you got to remember, this is still the Uso's brother. So he's going to do some Samoan moves. You saw him hit a Samoan uh, drop on an announce table. He does the Uso splash. Everybody's calling him Uso. Uso. Everybody in the NXT universe knows exactly who the brother he is. It just doesn't make sense why he's in, in NXT. I understand we want to give NXT that new feel and everything else. We want to give everybody a chance down there. I understand that wholeheartedly. But Solo Sequoia should be with the bloodline, unless we're about to split the bloodline up, and which will lead me to my Royal Rumble predictions too, by the way. But if we're going into the splitting of the bloodline, cool, keep Solo there. But if we're not doing that, bring my man up. But we'll get to that in whenever I get to the Royal Rumble predictions here. After this match, we have Duke Hudson going against Ru Guru Raj. I'm sorry if I butchered your name there. Uh, Duke wins the match by pinfall because this was nothing but an enhancement match for Duke. Uh, Duke basically outpowers and basically was a one-man beat-on show for this match. Duke hits the razor's edge for the win. No more, none less to be said. After the match, Dante Chen comes out. And he gets on the mic and he tells Duke that he's going to give Duke a warning before he comes down to the ring. And he basically gives Duke a opportunity that Duke didn't give him last week. Whenever Duke came down and beat up on both Guru and Dante. Because this is Dante's first like match coming back from a knee injury last week. Dante runs into the ring. You get Duke and Dante brawling in the ring. Referees get in the ring to separate both of the men. But as the referee were able to separate them, Duke was able to hit one final blow before he leaves the ring. He was able to hit a chop block on Dante's rehab knee. So now you got Dante going down, holding his knee in agonizing pain as Duke is leaving the ring. And he's just looking at Dante, just agonized in pain in the ring. So this tells me that Duke and Dante are going to have a feud. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I'm going to give it a shot and let's see what they come up with. After this, we have a six-woman tag team match. The team of Toxic Attraction going against Indy Hartwell, Persia Parada, and Kaylee Ray. Indy, Persia, and Kaylee Ray win the match by pinfall when Persia hits Gigi Dolan with the fireman's carry, turning it into a face buster for the win. Towards the end of the match, Kaylee Ray was able to scare off Mandy to leave the ring by chasing her with the baseball bat. So it eventually came down to a tag team match between Gigi and JC Dolan. JC Jane going against Persia and Indy Hartwell. Just want to throw that out there. 
After this match, we have another dusty tag team classics quarterfinals between the team of Grizzly Young Veterans going against Andre Chase and Bodie Hayward. Bodie Hayward is the guy who was protecting Andre Chase throughout this whole time. Just want to throw it out there now that we actually got an official name for the guy. Grizzly Young Veteran wins the match by pinfall when they hit a double code breaker on Bodie for the win. So Grizzly Young Veterans will now be facing the Creed Brothers in the semifinals matchup whenever that happens in the Dusty Rhodes uh, Tag Team Classic. After the match, Von Wagner attacks both Bodie and Andre Chase. He hits Bodie with an Olympic Slam, a.k.a. the Angle Slam, and he hits Andre Chase with a Death Valley Driver. After this, Von is now standing in the middle of the ring as Robert Stone comes into the ring and hands him a business jacket. Von Wagner puts it on, and Robert Stone lets the whole world know that Von Wagner has been assigned now to the Robert Stone brand, so Robert Stone will now be managing Von Wagner. You know what? I ain't got no problem with this pairing because Robert Stone, that was my thing with Robert. He was always the guy that was always, like, managing female talent during, like, the last final, like, eclipse of uh, the last faded moments of NXT, of Black and Gold era. And now with this whole colorful era, he's now uh, managing Von Wagner. I can't wait to see what he does with him. Robert Stone is, like, the only, like, manager except for, like, Malcolm Bivens on NXT. And it's going to be fun to see how those two will be playing off against one another. Because trust me, it's going to happen where Roger Stone's going against Von Wagner. It's going to happen because it was already building up a couple weeks ago after Roddy got beat up by, well, he had his match with Mello, and Von Wagner just looked at him as he was getting himself healed up and nursed up in the um, trainer's room. So that match is going to happen. I haven't forgot about that. After this, we have Io Shirai going against Tiffany Stratton. And they gave Tiffany Tiffany a lot of offense in this match against Io. Io could have easily put in the way Tiffany with any type of maneuver in this. But it tells me when you're looking at this match that the WWE like head up, like guys that run the backstage stuff, the ones that make the decisions, they have something in Tiffany. They see something in Tiffany. And personally, I see something too. She still has a little bit to go there in the ring with a couple more mat with more matches underneath their belt and more training trust me she can see she looks like she's able to hold her own in the ring she has the presence she has the gimmick of daddy's little rich girl she plays it up to a t she has the package to be a wwe woman's wrestler without a doubt but she just needs a little bit more training that's all i'm getting at here EO does win the match, however, by pinfall when EO hits her, patting it, moonsault from the top turnbuckle onto Tiffany for the win. I just want to also make clear again, they gave Tiffany a lot more offense than I would have, but again, they see something in Tiffany. After this, we now it's time for our main event, number one contenders match for the North American Championship between Cameron Grimes and Tony D'Angelo. The winner of this match will face Carmelo Hayes at Vengeance Day, which was announced on February the 15th, so it will be on television. Uh, Cameron Grimes wins the match by pitfall, thanks to a little help from Pete Dunne, because towards the end of the match, when Cameron Grimes was looking to hit the cave-in on Tony, but Tony was able to leave the ring and catch his breath at the announcer's table. He had his hand on the announcer's table. I just want to preface this so this next thing will be a shock to you. The referee is separating himself, well, 
keeping distance between Cameron Grimes so he won't go outside of the ring as Tony's catching his breath. And Pete Dunn comes out from nowhere. He hits Tony D'Angelo's hand that's on the announce tables with a cricket bat. And Tony is now holding his hand in agony. And he looks at Pete Dunn and he sees Pete. Pete shrugs his shoulders. And Tony realizes that this is revenge for busting up Pete Dunn's hands about a couple, no, a month ago. So Tony gets back into the ring, and as soon as he does, he gets met with Cameron Grimes' boots for the cave-in. And Cameron Grimes pins Tony D'Angelo. He wins. So now we have our matchup, or well, our first like matchup at NXT uh, Vengeance Day, which will be Carmelo Hayes defending the NXT North American Championship against Cameron Grimes. At the end of the show, once they get done with this match, we go and see Braun Breaker leaving the arena, but as soon as he's leaving the arena, he's stopped by Legado de Fantasma's car. Legado comes out of the car, and it looks like all three men are about to jump Braun Breaker, and Braun's ready for the launch. He's ready for the ambush, but we see Tommaso Ciampa walk up to Braun, and he just looks at Legado de Fantasma, so now it seems that Tommaso is aligning himself with Braun Breaker in this whole Braun going against Legato situation. So, it looks like we get our match for next week. Tommaso Tampa will be teaming up with Braun Breaker going against Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde on NXT next week. And that's how NXT ends. So that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now into AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite's episode this week is their speech break uh, special. They do this every year, and this is about their second one, I believe. Anyway, the first match of the night is the ladder match for the undisputed TNT Championship between the interim champion Sammy Guevara and the champion Cody Rhodes. Sammy wins the match by hitting Cody with one of the TNT Championships that was hanging above the ring because both of the championships were hanging up there. And once Cody is knocked down off the ladder, Sammy unclips both championships, and now he is the undisputed TNT champion. I want to say this right now. This match was a complete, uh, no, no, it was a, it, it, they hit on everything they were supposed to do. Sammy's the daredevil. Cody is the wrestling uh, guy that is able to do everything in the ring. He can do power if you want to do it. He'll do high flying if you want to do it. He can do mat game wrestling if you want to do it. He's all, all rounded wrestler, but this match really fitted Sammy, even though this is Sammy's first ladder match, I believe in uh, AEW, while Cody has already had ladder matches in WWE that was already established in their, like, video package that they had, like, a day before, Sammy mentioned it in it and said, this is my first ladder match in AEW, while Cody has had plenty of them in his career Um, here's some major highlights throughout that match you had Sammy doing a swanton bomb off of the off the top of a ladder on the outside of the ring as Cody was laid across a ladder. So he lands on Cody. The ladder doesn't break, but he lands on Cody. So I know Cody and Sammy felt that. Cody hit Sammy Guevara with a crossroads off the top of a ladder. So Sammy was on one ladder. Cody was on another ladder. He had to bend Sammy back a little bit. So hit the crossroads. And then the biggest major like highlight, I believe they'll probably be using in a whole lot of AEW Dynamite like clips for promotional packages are probably this one move right here you had sammy jumping off the top turnbuckle leaping over well not leaping over leaving leaping on top of a ladder and then he jumps off of that and then he jumps and catches cody and hits him with a cutter and that's going to be in every aew like rampage dynamite like promotional package 
from the future on. I can guarantee right now we're going to see that on commercials and a whole lot of promotional dealings uh, later on. If not, that will be a missed opportunity, but I have a feeling they're going to use that. But again, this is a ladder match that I'll say is a top top match contender of the year so far. I know I have it on my list. As a matter of fact, next week I'm going to give you guys my matches of the year so far. Well, for January. So I should say matches of the month for me and my best estimates, the ones that I've seen. Anyway, after this, we get Warlow going against Elijah Dean and James Alexander. Might I add, this AEW Dynamite episode was in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Cleveland is the home of Wardlow, so he got the big welcome home reception. Uh, Elijah Dean and James Alexander are two scrubs, and Wardlow beat them single-handedly. It was really just a showcasing of nothing but Wardlow here in his hometown. Uh, Wardlow wins the match by pinfall after hitting James Alexander with two power bombs, and then hitting Elijah Dean with four power bombs. But the fourth one, he dropped him on the back of uh alexander and then he stacked him on top of each other he placed his foot on alexander he won the match that way fairly really uh dominant fashion at this we have the trios better known as the six-man tag team matchup between jericho and proud and powerful going against the team of 2.0 and daniel garcia chris jericho and proud and powerful win the match by pinfall when jericho hits the judas effect on matt lee as jericho was on the outside of the ring and Santana then grabs Lee and hits him with a pile driver to cover him for the win. This match really showed like the cracks that are inside the inner circle, and it only like really drawn the cracks out more because during this match, you saw Santana really not want Jericho getting involved in the match at all. You saw Proud and Powerful take charge in this match, and Chris Jericho really like stared back because Chris Jericho wanted to get in the match, but every time he got tagged in, Santana tagged himself in the first time. Ortiz tagged himself in. And then when it looks like Ortiz was getting his butt beat and he was really about to tag in Jericho because Santana wasn't on the ring apron because he got took out. He was like neglecting even tagging Jericho, but he had to come to his senses. He was about to tag Jericho. Santana gets on the ring apron. He puts his hand in front of Jericho's hand. So Ortiz was going to slap Jericho in, but he ends up hitting uh, Santana's hand because Santana's hand was over Jericho's. Jericho sees this. He gets off the ring apron. He just walks. And he doesn't walk up the ramp, he just walks like to the entrance ramp and he just stands there and looks at them. And then that's allowed him to hit Matt Lee with the Judas effect and that led into the finish. After the match, however, we see Jericho mouthing off to Proud and Powerful. He sticks up the bird at him. So this really looks like we got a, like a line drawn in the sand with the inner circle. So it looks to me that I believe we're going to get Jake Hager teaming up or he's going to be siding with Jericho in this. Proud and Powerful is going to be their own thing. And Guevara is going to say, hey, listen, I rock with both of you. You know I love you both, but you guys got to figure this thing out. I'm going to do my own thing while you guys do this thing. So it looks to me like the inner circle is really being disbanded right here. And I have no problem with that because it's time. No disrespect to the inner circle, but it's time for them. Proud and Powerful should have been tag team champions last year. It should have happened. The area should have been tag team champions even in 2019. And my best, no, 2019, 2020. 2021, you could have had them because they were still the hottest tag team when their AEW was formed. That's not a, a, a opinion. That is a legit fact. It is. And Jericho's whole situation did hold them back because it always seemed that they were always like the guard dogs. If you got to get to Jericho, you got to get to Proud and Powerful first. So I'm glad they're doing this and breaking off uh, Proud and Powerful away from the inner circle. I'm pretty glad with this. 
After this, we had CM Punk's in-ring promo. Punk comes down in his wrestling gear, and he's out here to call out MJF. He's lists the people that he's gone through. He lists FTR. He lists Warlow. He lists Sean Spears. And he says that MJF has nobody left to hide behind. He also tells the Cleveland crowd that he owes them one, so that's why he wants to fight MJF here. And you'll understand what he meant by he owes Cleveland one in a minute. MJF comes out. He tells Punk that he isn't going to fight Punk here in a place like Cleveland. He calls Cleveland a dump. MJF tells Punk that, you know what? You'll get the match that you'll be clamoring that you and the fans have been clamoring for next week. It'll be CM Punk versus MJF in Chicago. Then MJF goes on to land base Punk. MJF tells the crowd that once he beats Punk next week, the real CM Punk will appear. This guy that has this fake smile will be disappearing, and you'll see the real CM Punk right in front of your face. The guy who doesn't that if he doesn't get his way, he leaves and goes home. He talks about how Punk left. The people just like he did in 2014. He talks about how Punk said he left wrestling in 2005 when he left Ring of Honor, but MJF says that's not true. He left the people in 2014, the exact same place, right here in Cleveland, where you were scheduled to appear. You remember that? And that's whenever Punk was supposed to be in Cleveland. I'll give you guys a backstory here. Punk left WWE in 2014 the night after the Royal Rumble. Apparently, they were in Cleveland. I don't keep up with the locations, but I do remember this. It was backstage reportings that Punk uh, was heard shouting with somebody in WWE creative. It could be Vince. It could have been Triple H. It could have been anybody that he was like, he's needed a break. He's going to be out of here. So he walked out and he, and the reports came out that he was taken off of all house shows. He was taken off of trips then we hear months later, he gets fired. That's your recap from that. But anyway, the first stick of dynamite of Punk literally leaving WWE was whenever, the night after Royal Rumble, and in Cleveland. So that's what Punk meant. He owes Cleveland one, because he's supposed to be in Raw that night. And there you go. Now, now that you're caught up, let's continue. Uh, he t- MJF tells uh, Punk that he doesn't care about... The fans that have been chanting for Punk's name for the last seven years, Punk doesn't care about that. MJF finishes off land based Punk by saying Punk will leave the whole wrestling business next week once he loses the MJF, and then he'll leave and then cry about it on a podcast, referencing CM Punk going on his friend at the time, Cole Cabana's podcast, the Art of Wrestling podcast, whenever he talked about his experience in WWE. Punk then retorts to MJF and says, You listened to that podcast because you were a fan. Punk continues to say that you were the same fan that waited in line to meet me and take a picture with me. That photo is circulating on the internet of MGF being a young kid taking a photo with CM Punk. He goes on to say that MGF, he goes on to tell MGF that he never lied to the people. He has never once lied to the people. Punk tells MGF that you know why the people love me and why some people hate me because they know that I'm me. They see me in this ring, whether I win or I lose, I am in this ring and I get up after every beating that I've took. MJF says, that's true? Okay, let's test that theory. MJF starts taking off his watch and then we all know the shtick where we're about to get. MJF is going to come down by himself and he doesn't. We see FTR Warlow come out of the entrance tunnel. They start walking down the ramp with MJF, but we go and see the camera shot to MJF well, not MJF, CM Punk. Punk's in the ring, and 
Sean Spears comes running in the ring, like behind Punk and starts uh, running against him into the turnbuckle. And we see Punk fighting off with Sean Spears. Then we see FTR running up to help out Sean Spears. So now it's three on one. FTR, Sean Spears beating up on Punk. They beat up on him. And MJF is on the mic just endorsing FTR and Spears doing it while Warlow is standing off in the corner. He ain't even trying to help this. He's not trying to help Punk. He's not trying to help his pinnacle pals. He's just over there in the corner because he doesn't want to do this at all. After FTR and Sean Spears beat up on Punk, we see MJF gets in Warlow's face and he tells Warlow to powerbomb Punk. Warlow looks at MJF and he just like has a disgusted look on his face like, are you serious right now? You want me to powerbomb after you guys just did all this to him? Come on. But Warlow still does it. Warlow great gets Punk. He hesitates on it, but he does lift him up. Sean Spears puts a chair down and Warlow powerbombs Punk on the steel chair. We then see MGF turn over CM Punk, sit on Punk's chest and crisscross applesauce style the same way that Punk did it on the entrance ramp whenever he dropped the pipe bomb and the same way Punk does it whenever he's got to say something uh, really educational to the crowd. He tells Punk that it's apropos that the same place you started your career will be the same place your career ends and he's talking about their match next week on AEW. So we're going to finally get the match. MGF going against Punk on AEW Dynamite next week. I'm not sure if we're going to get this after this beatdown, but knowing Punk and knowing how Punk works, we're more or less going to get it, and Punk's probably going to come out there with bandage tape on or something. Anyway, after this, we get Red Velvet going against legit Layla Hirsch. Uh, Layla Hirsch wins the match by pinfall when Layla catches Velvet's uh, roundhouse kick and rolls her up and grabs her tights for leverage to win. So basically, she won by dirty means necessary. After the match, Layla attacks Velvet and puts her in the armbar until Chris Statlander comes running down to the ring and basically scares off Layla out of the ring. And Chris continues to chase her up until they get on the entrance ramp. And then Layla starts walking to the back as Chris Statlander goes back into the ring to check on Red Velvet to see if she's okay. After this, we get an in-ring promo from the AEW Women's Champion, Britt Baker. Britt's whole reason for being out here is to talk about her achievements, the Avro Awards that she won in 2021, and the awards that are out there are Pro Wrestling Illustrated awarded her with Match of the Year with Thunder Rosa and their Lights Out match on uh, AEW Dynamite's uh, St. Patrick's Day special in 2021, uh, Most Improved Wrestler, and Woman of the Year from both Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside the Ropes. Inside the Ropes is, I believe, a British uh, publication, wrestling publication. So that's the award. She got awarded from them as well. She mentions how she told everyone in 2021 that that was going to be her year. And by God, it was. She won the Women's Championship from uh, Sheeta last year at Double or Nothing. And from then, she just continuously dominated throughout that whole uh, women's division. And she then tries to play up to the Cleveland crowd because Cleveland uh, has a football team called the Cleveland Browns and their quarterback is Baker Mayfield. And she talks about how Baker Mayfield is a loser and that she is the only Baker that is out here winning anything. Uh, she ends up saying that she took the women's division over and now she's taken over the whole entire roster. And now she is the face of AEW. And that's it. Britt Baker gets out the ring. She grabs a fan's uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, like, I believe, flag, drapes it over her, starts walking to the back. It was a great segment. Great promo from Britt Baker. No, nothing bad for me to say. I just wish that we would have got an introdu uh, like a 
introduction of a new challenger in this segment because I'm not used to like bad guys like doing a whole like bad guy promo while somebody interrupting. So this was kind of refreshing to see. I mean, I'm just used to whole somebody just popping out. But anyway, nothing bad to say about this. After this, we get our main event lights out match between Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy wins the match by pinfall when both Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole are on top of one of the entrance tunnels, preferably the babyface entrance tunnel, the good guy babyface, well, good guy tunnel, and Orange puts his arms around Cole, and they both fall down from the tunnel through the entrance stage, and the cameras go and pan over into the shot, and you see a big old hole, you see Orange Cassidy's arm drapes over Adam Cole's body, and the referee counts uh, for counts the pin, and that's how Orange Cassidy wins the match. That's basically the end of the match, though. Special moments throughout the match was uh, Best Friends, Rocky Romero, Wheeler Yuta, Brandon Cutler, Bobby Fish, and the Young Bucks all got involved in the match, probably like the middle section of the match. But early on in the match, when Adam Cole went underneath the ring to grab a steel chair, he grabs a steel chair, but once he does that, you see him pull somebody else out with that steel chair as well. And it's an independent wrestler named Dan Housen. If you haven't watched uh, Ring of Honor, Dan Housen is a... uh, Really, really funny guy. I mean, he has his own stuff on YouTube, but he's a more character wrestler. I'm not going to say he's like the Matt wrestler or the Adam Cole style wrestler. No, he's more of a caricature. He has like the old style gimmicks that you see like in like Attitude Era, but not the raunchy stuff. He's more of a, if I were to say anything, I'll say he's like a PG version of Mankind, but without the whole mask on his face. He has his face painted up. You just got to see him to understand him. That's But he's a PG version of Mankind, if you will. And after the match, after AEW, Dynamite goes off. It is confirmed because Tony Khan tweeted it out uh, that Danhausen has signed with AEW. So that's that for that. Also, at one point in the match as well, Adam Cole tried to uppercut Orange Cassidy in the nuts. But Adam Cole ends up hurting himself in the process of doing this. Because once Adam Cole does uppercut Orange Cassidy in the nuts, you see Adam Cole yell out in pain and he's holding his elbow. And you see Orange Cassidy just standing there like nothing happened to him. And he pulls out a metal cup that he had in his pants. And in the, on the metal cup was thumbtacks attached to it, which I don't know how they get that stuff to happen. And I don't know how like they maneuver with that in their trunks and everything, especially with something lethal like that with a cup with thumbtacks next to it. I understand it protects your jewels, and I know how a cup works. But, I mean, you're not... When you fall, that cup has to hit one of your side of your thighs or something, so you're feeling some pricks somewhere or another. But, again, uh, great main event. Nothing bad for me to say. There was a lot of criticism for how the finish ended with basically looking like uh, people were saying that made Adam Cole look weak. Listen, I'm just going to teach you guys something right here. This doesn't make Adam Cole look weak at all because you want to know why. This does not affect his record at all. A lights out match, for anybody that don't know, is something that does not affect your record. It does not go on your record. So if you were to win or lose, it doesn't matter. This match is nothing but a hardcore exhibition match. It doesn't count. That's all that it means, basically, with a lights out match in AEW. And to be honest with you, I said last week I thought Johnny Gargano was going to come out and challenge the winner of the TNT Championship match. I said that on this uh, broadcast last Saturday, and I tweeted out like 
the night of, as or the morning of, AEW Dynamite, one or the two, I said Johnny Gargano is going to come out and help out Orange Cassidy defeat Adam Cole because I'm thinking that Orange Cassidy and the best friends are going to need another guy to beat up on Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, and Red Dragon because it has a 514. Rocky Romero isn't always going to be there on the AEW Dynamite. And since they were in Cleveland and they've been hyping up Cleveland so much and Johnny Gargano's from Cleveland, I thought we we're going to get Johnny Gargano debuting here. I was completely wrong off the money on that one, too. So I was wrong on both accounts. Again, but Johnny Gargano did tweet it out, saying that he heard the fans' voices last night, and he appreciates them. He, trust me, he'll get back in the ring, and he will make it all worth their while. Johnny did tweet that. Something along those things, I'm not quoting it, so I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But Johnny Gargano did hear about it, and uh, he appreciated the people cheering for him last night on AEW Dynamite. So this isn't the end of Johnny Gargano in professional wrestling. If anything, we're probably just going to have to wait just a little bit more longer before he pops up again in another promotion. But anyway, that is your AEW Dynamite highlights of the week. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a match between Chris Bay and Jake Something. Jake Something wins the match by pinfall when Jake catches Chris Bay in midair as uh, Bay jumps from the top turnbuckle and... Jake catches him and hits him with a black hole slam for the win. After the match, the Gorillas of Destiny come running down the ramp and start beating up on Jake something. Now, if you don't know who Gorillas of Destiny are, they are the sons of Haku. Haku is the uncle of The Rock. So, what I'm basically trying to get here is that they are another Samoans, or if you want to put them in more specific categories, they are Tongans. Uh, They work for New Japan. They... Tama Tonga, one half of the Gorillas of Destiny, is a founding father of the Bullet Club stable, which the four founding fathers were Tama Tonga, Carl Anderson, Finn Balor, and Bad Luck Fale. Bad Luck Fale is another guy in New Japan. And the other half of the Gorilla of Destiny is Tama Tonga's brother, Tonga Loa. Just want to get that out of the way here. They come down, they beat up on uh, uh, Jake something, and this continues to happen until Speedball Mike Bailey comes down, running down the ring, and tries to help out Jake something. Speedball was able to hold his own against the Gorillas of Destiny until Jay White comes running down the ramp and gets into the ring and grabs uh, Speedball and hit him with a half-Nelson suplex, and then they leave Jake. Mike Bailey speedball laid out in the ring. You see Chris Bay, the Gorillas of Destiny, and Jay White do the their whole Bullet Club uh, hand signaling to each other. They come together, they do that, and then you see the Gorillas of Destiny look into the main camera, and they start throwing out a challenge to the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Team titles. Now, let me give you a recap on that. The Good Brothers are Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows. They were also... Members of Bullet Club. As I said, Carl Anderson is a founding father of Bullet Club. Doc Gallows was his tag team partner in New Japan whenever it was built around whenever Bullet Club really started like recruiting members. Doc Gallows was literally like the first like guy that they recruited over to New Japan to team up with Carl Anderson to take over the tag team division. Anyway, for the past couple years. It really started hitting up a big storm last year whenever the Good Brothers were in AEW and Kenny Omega was with himself, aligning himself more with Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. 
uh, they start throwing shots over at Jay White and Bullet Club over in New Japan. So if you throw shots at Bullet Club in Japan, you're throwing shots at Gorillas of Destiny. Tamatanga didn't accept that. Tamatanga didn't like it. So this already had a brewing, and it was already brewing and simmering for a, a good couple of months. And now it's finally coming to a head with Gorillas of Destiny being in Impact Wrestling. They go and look into the hard camera. They challenge the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Team titles. And that's where we're at with this. Now, once Bullet Club leaves the ring, they, you see a shot, camera shot, pan over to the crowd. And you see Honor No More, which consists of Mike Bennett, Maria Kanellis, Vincent, Matt Taven, and PCO moving towards the front in the crowd. Like, right where the guardrails are. You see Josh Alexander, Rich Swan, Eddie Edwards, Rhino, and Chris Saban come running down to the ring. They get in the ring. Rhino gets the mic, and he tells security to let the honor guys come into the ring so they can get their butt kicked. Scott Demore, who is basically like the general manager of Impact Wrestling, comes down, and he tells them, don't let those guys get nowhere close to the ring. They don't represent Ring of Honor. Maria gets on the mic and tells Scott, why should we play by your rules? We're just here to do what we got to do. Scott then makes the announcement that at no surrender, it will be honor no more going against the best that Impact Wrestling has to offer. And that if Impact wins, honor no more has to leave. But if honor no more wins, they can stay in Impact Wrestling. Chris Saban gets the mic and tells Scott that he doesn't want to wait until no surrender and that he wants to go against somebody tonight. Scott tells honor no more to pick somebody to face Chris Saban. PCO is selected, so that's our match for the main event, PCO going against Chris Saban. After this, we have a tag team match with the Inspiration, the Knockouts Tag Team Champions, going against Madison Rain and Caleb with a K of the Influence. Now, you might be asking, why isn't Tennille Dashwood in this match? Well, because Tennille Dashwood wasn't around for this episode. So, that's your answer for that. The Inspiration do win the match by pinfall when Casey Lee counters Caleb's powerbomb with a code red for the win. Solid tag match here. No more to be said. Backstage, we get Mike Bailey and Jake something talking about, well, talking with each other about Gorillas of Destiny and Bullet Club. Ace Austin and Madman Fulton walk up to them and Ace apologizes to Mike Bailey for not coming out and saving him from the Bullet Club. Jake something thinks Ace has something up his sleeve and is no good. Bailey tells Ace that if you're sincere about that apology, then you will join us in fighting the Bullet Club next week. Ace Austin tries to find every excuse in the world for not joining them next week. He talks about how him and Madman Fulton have something to do next week and that he's not a matchmaker. He doesn't have the power to make those matches. And we got to speak to somebody in management. Gail Kim, who is in management, overhears them and says... What were you guys saying? You know what? I heard you guys are saying, you know what? It's a good idea. So here's what's going to happen. You four will go against Bullet Club next week. Okay? So we have our matchup next week. Jake something, Mike Bailey, Ace Austin, and Matt Matt Fulton going against Bullet Club's own, Chris Bay, Gorillas of Destiny, and Jay White. We then go to another backstage segment of the Good Brothers walking up to Violence by Design. You see, the Good Brothers tell Violence by Design that their business agreement with each other isn't over because the Gorillas of Destiny are here and they're trying to take the tag team titles away from them. Violence by Design tells the Good Brothers that this isn't a our problem. This is a you problem. The Good Brothers remind them that they got in business together to take care of tag teams and they got rid of Rhino and Heath last week and they were Violence by Design's problem. 
Good Brothers then tell Violence by Design that the G.O.D. are here, and that means that's one more tag team in the way of Violence by Design to getting a shot at the tag team titles. The Good Brothers then say that the, they are the ones that made Bullet Club, and now they are the ones that have to inject the Bullet Club with a lethal dose of violence. And Violence by Design then agrees to continue with their working partnership with the Good Brothers, and they agree to take out uh, Gorillas to Destiny. After this, we get Mickey James in-ring promo. Around the ring are the knockouts surrounding the ring, and Mickey gets in there, and she starts congratulating on the knockouts for helping rebuild the knockouts division last year in 2021. She congratulates the inspiration for being the knockouts tag team champions. She congratulates Jordan Grace for being the strongest knockout in the division, as well as being the digital media champion. Mickey even congratulates Deanna Perrazzo for being the strongest and toughest competitor that she has faced in Impact Wrestling. And she even gives her the, well, the accomplishment on being the third greatest knockouts champion in history. She says third because Mickey James is number two and Gail Kim is number one. Mickey then goes into business and talks about how she's going to be in the Royal Rumble this Saturday and she hopes to win the Rumble because she wants to go off to WrestleMania and defend the Knockouts Championship in a title for title match at WrestleMania. Chelsea Green gets on the microphone, gets in the ring and tells Mickey that it's not an if you win, it's when you win the Rumble. Chelsea then runs down Mickey's resume of being a four-time Knockouts Champion and a six-time WWE Women's Champion. And she says that when Mickey does win, she wants the first dibs at the Knockouts Championship. Mickey was about to give and grant Chelsea that opportunity, but Tasha Steeles gets on the mic and tells Mickey that nobody wants to hear that. Then you see Tasha and Rachel L. Uh, Evans get into the ring and Tasha is still holding her big red X that she won at the Ultimate X match, by the way. Just want to keep that in mind right here. Tasha tells Chelsea that she's beaten Chelsea not once, but twice, and that she's next in line for the Knockouts Championship. Tasha and Mickey then get in each other's face. You see Tasha hit Mickey in the stomach with the big red X. Then you see Chelsea hit Tasha Steeles, and then you see Rachel hit Chelsea, so now we have a little mini brawl for all these four ladies, and it ends with Tasha and Rachel being thrown out of the ring as Mickey and Chelsea Green are the last ones standing in the ring. We go backstage and we see Steve Macklin being interviewed about his match last week with Jonathan Gresham for the Ring of Honor Championship. Steve says that match was in a peer rules match, and last time I checked, we weren't in Ring of Honor. This is Impact Wrestling. Steve then tells the interviewer to leave because he's starting to get upset. Once she leaves, he starts throwing things around. You see security try to come over to try to calm him down. He tells them that they need to leave before he knocks their teeth down their throat. Gresham walks up to Macklin, and Gresham tells Macklin that he knows why he's upset, and he decides to issue him a challenge to a wrestling match next week. But it's not for the Ring of Honor Championship, and it's not an appear rules match. It's a simple one-on-one wrestling match. Macklin agrees to the match, so that's a match that we have next week. After this, we have a handicap match, 9-on-1, W. Morrissey going against the Learning Tree, which consists of VSK, Zicky Dice, and seven more other guys that we don't ever get their names because they're not important. They're not signed to Impact Wrestling. They're basically just jobber guys. Uh, Brian Myers is on commentary for this whole thing, by the way. Morrissey wins the match by pinfall in dominant fashion because he beats up everybody in the Learning Tree. He beats up and dominates it. 
Towards the end, he power bombs one of the guys onto the back of Zicky Dice and then stacks Zicky and the other guy on top of each other and he covers them for the win. After the match, Brian Myers gets off the commentary. He gets into the ring and confronts Morrissey. Myers hits Morrissey in the face. Then we see Morrissey hit Myers in the face. Then we see both of them start throwing hands until Morrissey puts his hand around Myers' throat. We then see Moose come running down to the ring, and now it's a two-on-one beatdown of Moose and Myers beating up on Morrissey. And Moose hits Morrissey in the back of the head with the Impact Championship. Morrissey goes down. You see the Relating Tree get back into the ring, and you see all members of the Lonely Tree stomping on Morrissey. So Morrissey starts getting up. He throws every member of the Lonely Tree out of the ring, and then he turns around to look at Moose. But as soon as he does this, Moose hits him with a spear. So our last image is Moose picking up the Impact Championship as W. Morrissey is laid out in the ring. Again, this is to further to promote their matchup at No Surrender coming up. After this, we have Jonah going against Johnny Swinger. Jonah wins the match by pinfall, real dominantly, when he hits Swinger with a big body splash from the top turnbuckle to win the match. After the match, Jonah tosses Swinger out of the ring, and Jonah was about to follow up on Swinger, but Decay comes out to check up on Swinger. And we get a stare down from Jonah and Black Tarus as Jonah is making his way to the back. So we're setting up for Jonah to go against Black Tarus somewhere down the line. Two big men just beating up each other and just throwing each other around in the ring. I'm cool and I'm fine with that. Also, by the way, I forgot to mention, Dan Lambert, the same Dan Lambert that's managing right now, the men of the year in AEW. Somehow he's aligned himself with also Lance Archer in AEW. He was there in the crowd as well, so we might get Dan Lambert probably trying to recruit Jonah as well. We'll just have to see where that goes whenever, as this whole thing uh, goes down. We also, before I forget, we had a backstage interview earlier with uh, Jordan Grace, and the whole interview was about her accepting Matt Cardona's uh, challenge that he issued to her last week. And it's going to be next week, it's going to be for the Digital Media Championship. Jordan Grace going against Matt Cardona. After this, we have our main event PCO with Honor No More in his corner, going against Chris Saban with, in his corner, Rhino, Josh Alexander, Eddie Edwards, and Rich Swan. PCO wins the match by pinfall, thanks to the distraction by Honor No More. When Chris Saban went to the top top turnbuckle, Maria got on the ring apron and distracted the referee. While this was going down, Mike Bennett was able to get on the apron and throw Chris Saban off the top turnbuckle, and Saban landed neck first on the ring ropes. This allowed PCO to lock Chris Saban into a full Nelson, and then hit him with a bubble bomb for the win. You might be asking yourself, Gerald, where is the guys that were in Chris Saban's corner whenever all that stuff happened at the end of the, uh, towards the end of the match? Well, I'll tell you. Earlier in the match, you had Saban getting tripped up by the Honor No More guys. So, the Impact guys thought they could do the exact same thing to PCO, but they weren't so lucky. You see, Honor No More was able to do that with the referee not looking at them. Impact did it with the referee looking at them, and Impact Referee had to send all the Impact guys to the back. So that's the reason why they weren't out here to help out Chris Saban towards the end of the match. However, after the match, Honor No More gets in the ring and they start beating up on Chris Saban. This continues to happen until the Impact guys come running down to help out Chris Saban and beat up on everybody and throw everybody out of the ring except for Vincent. 
Josh Alexander puts Vincent in the ankle lock, and Vincent is moving around. He's trying to flee out and trying to get out of the ankle lock. He can't do it. Matt Taven has to grab Vincent's hands and pull him out of the ring, and that's how Vincent was able to get out of the ankle lock. Again, this is further to uh, hype up the matchup that we're going to get at No Surrender between Team No uh, Honor No More going against Team Impact Wrestling. Again, I'm a big fan of interpromotion, like cross uh, people, just guys from another promotion, like jumping in to another promotion. Some matches that you thought you'd never see, you're getting to see it. I'm always a fan of that, and I think a lot of professional wrestling fans will be a lot more happier if the bigger companies, aka WWE, would send some of their guys over to another company. And to do this, it'll open up a bigger scale for the wrestling business, but hey, I'm cool with AEW Impact and uh, Ring of Honor whenever whenever their business is back to being open, because best believe, I'm going to see, I believe we're going to see a lot of that happening as well, and all these other, like, other promotions doing these things and working with each other. It really helps benefit the professional wrestling landscape. It helps benefit professional wrestling as a whole. I love it. So again, I'm cool with them doing this. But anyway, that is your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for SmackDown Highlights of the Week. SmackDown opens up with an in-ring promo from the SmackDown Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Charlotte is out here to mention that on Sunday, there will be 29 other women that will be banged up, bruised, having realized that they lost the Rumble the night before, meaning that the Rumble's on Saturday this year. She mentions how the Rumble is hard to prepare because of the betrayals, which means that tag teams will be betraying each other, surprise entries, people that you don't know who's going to pop in, and returns from people that are basically injured or making their return. She mentions that she didn't have, she doesn't have to enter the Rumble, but she wanted to enter the Rumble because she wanted to do something that has never been done, being the first ever person to be a champion and win the Rumble and be able to pick your opponent to main event WrestleMania. Once she says this, Shayna Baszler then comes out and tells Charlotte that if it ever comes down to her and Charlotte again like it did in 2020, she promises that she's going to snap Charlotte's bones and then throw her out of the ring. Now we get Aaliyah coming out, and she's happy to be here. She's happy that she's going to be entering her first ever Royal Rumble, and she hopes that she wins to be able to go to WrestleMania and wrestle in her first WrestleMania. Natalia comes out here and she plays the stickler. She's out here to tell Aaliyah that she's not going to win the Rumble. Uh, then we get Shotzi out here. She talks about how she's going to be able to sneak into the Rumble and win it and steal the spotlight. And they're all basically here talking about how the, each one of them are planning on winning the Rumble. Charlotte mentions that none of them even belongs to be in the ring with her and that she's going to be the one to win the Royal Rumble tomorrow. Then Sasha Banks comes out. And that's a surprise for everybody because... We got a report, I believe, like a couple of weeks ago that Sasha was supposed to miss the Royal Rumble with some type of injury. I don't know if it was like it was a wrist injury or whatever, but she comes out and it's a big surprise to everybody. She gets like the biggest uh, crowd like chant of any woman throughout, well, not throughout the night, but throughout this whole segment right here. Sasha gets in the ring and she just says point blank on the mic that she's here and she's ready to rumble and she gets... In Charlotte's face, and Charlotte gets in her face. She slaps Charlotte, and now you have a little mini brawl with everybody. All six women are in the ring uh, brawling, except for Sasha, technically. Sasha and Charlotte, so let me rephrase that. Aaliyah and Natalia are going at each other, and then you got Shayna and Chazi Black are going at each other. 
You get left down to Sasha and Charlotte as the only two women in the ring. Charlotte tries to big boot Sasha in the face, but Sasha catches her foot and throws Charlotte out of the ring, demonstrating what could happen tomorrow at the Royal Rumble. After this, we have a tag team match between Cesaro and Ricochet going against Rich Holland and Sheamus. And this is a rematch from their day one pre-show match. Also, Rich Holland was given a face mask by Sheamus, the same face mask that Sheamus wore when he broke his nose. Rich Holland and Sheamus do win the match by a pinfall when Ridge tags himself in without Cesaro knowing this. Cesaro and Sheamus were the legal men, but Ridge was able to tag himself in when Sheamus was next to him. And Cesaro was able to get Sheamus ready and locked into position to swing him in the ring. But Ridge turns Cesaro around and headbutts him with the same facial mask, the heavy metal facial mask that he's wearing, and then pick up Cesaro and hit him with the Northern Grit, which is a Northern Lights suplex, well, Northern Lights bomb for the win, and that's that for that match. Good tag team match. Everybody loves Cesaro. Cesaro is easily lovable. He was the, like, guy that everybody wanted to succeed in this match and basically do what he does, because Cesaro is awesome. After this, we finally get the match that we have been clamoring for, Naomi going against Sonya Deville. Before the match begins, we get Sonya Deville talking to the referee backstage, and she tells him that I'm your boss, you're going to do as I say, and she's trying to undermine the ref and basically tries to get a win here. The ref tells Sonya that I'm going to be calling the match right down the middle, and he leaves away from Sonya, so now we get to the match between Naomi and Sonya Deville, and Naomi wins the match by pinfall when she hits Sonya with the rear view and then hits the split-legged moonsault for the win. I will say this, Sonya Deville actually did wrestle in this match. I thought this was going to be a probably a five to six minute, like, trying to catch me if you can, but the good guy catches them and beats them up and then hits their finish. But no, Sonya Deville actually wrestles. She actually hits a elevator, which is a suplex turned into a rock bottom. And it looked like Sonya was going to beat Naomi, but that didn't happen. Naomi was able to beat Sonya Deville again. Solid match. I'm just surprised that they didn't go with the little trope that they usually do. After the match, Naomi gets on the mic and yells to the audience that they did it. The audience is cheering for it because everybody has been, their mama has been waiting for Naomi to finally get her hands on Sonya Deville, and she was able to do it tonight. She stated that it's been 153 days since she's been able to finally get her hands on Sonya Deville, and she was able to do it tonight and beat Sonya Deville. Naomi then states that she plans on going to the Royal Rumble and winning it. Sonya Deville comes out, she's upset, she's pissed, and she basically tells Naomi, listen, you can't go into the Rumble without a surprise. And she lets Naomi know that the surprise is a special uh, entry. And the person that's going to be entering in the Rumble as well is Sonya Deville. So Sonya Deville is a solo loser, and she's added herself into the Royal Rumble, more or less, probably to just play spoiler to Naomi in the Royal Rumble. After this, we have an in-ring segment in Zane. This is Sami Zayn's little uh, situation, his little segment. He makes it basically to an in-ring podcast with Jinder Mahal and Shanky. This was a complete waste of time segment. I mean, the only saving grace of this whole segment was when Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura came down to the ring. Rick Boogs did his whole introduction of Shinsuke Nakamura, his whole screechy yell. It, it works with Rick Boogs, okay? Him and Nakamura, that pairing completely works. We end up getting a tag team match with Shinsuke and Rick Boogs going against the team of Jinder Mahal and Shanky. 
I believe Nakamura doesn't get in this match. If he does, he gets in by a little bit, but the majority of this match is controlled by Rick Boogs for that team. He ends up hitting uh, Shanky with the Boogs Cruise, which is a pump handle slam for the win. And when he does it, we all, even the commentary, Pat McAfee and Michael Cole saying, I don't think he can even get Shanky up for this. And once he does, they just are crazed about how his strength is. And this is telling me that WWE has high hopes for Rick Boogs. It's a good thing because he has good charisma. He's a good caricature. He's not caricature. He's a good character to have on your television screen. The fans truly love him. I mean, it's good to have a plan in place for Rick Boogs. Again, I suggest for you to capitalize on Rick Boogs because it's too early to split away the team of Rick Boogs and Nakamura. Have them go out to the tag team titles. If the Viking Raiders don't win against the Usos, have them do it. Have them go after it and have them win it if you want to continue to push Rick Boogs the way that you're doing. That'll be my way to keep Rick Boogs and uh, Nakamura together. Anywho, after this, we have a tag team match. The New Day, which is Kofi Kingston and Big E going against Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. The New Day win the match by pitfall when they hit the midnight hour on Madcap Moss for the win. And the midnight hour is their tag team finish, which is the Big E holding a Madcap Moss for the big ending, and Kofi jumping off the top turnbuckle, and he simultaneously hits a DDT, as well as Biggie doing the big ending. Type in Midnight Hour on YouTube, New Day, you'll get it, the illustration. Uh, the fans loved it. Fans loved to see the New Day. Kofi and Biggie having those two, and whenever you have King Woods with them as well, it's always a good time. The New Day, again, greatest faction in WWE history. You can complain to anybody else. You can't complain to me. It's gone down. I've stated it before. Uh, you can go back and check the episode, episode 38.5. Uh, I've stated it. I gave you the whole resume of the New Day. They're the greatest faction in WWE history. There's no, like, if, answer, but. All right? After this, main event segment time. The last time that we will see Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns go face-to-face before the Royal Rumble tonight. Uh, Seth thanks Roman for getting his cousins disqualified last week and making their match a true one-on-one match with the Usos being barred from ringside. Roman talks about, well, it was an easy choice. It was either having my family be disgraced by you pinning my cousins or me punch you in the face. So it was an easy choice. Seth says, wow, so me pinning your cousin would have been a disgrace to your bloodline. Well, it looks like you must be the biggest disgrace of all time because I keep on pinning you every single time. Then we get into Seth mentioning in about him and Roman's past and talking about how he's always outwit and always manipulated Roman Reigns. He mentioned WrestleMania 31 taking the spotlight away from Roman at his first WrestleMania moment whenever Roman went against Brock Lesnar and Seth cashed in the money in the bank. He then talks about how Seth, Seth talks about how he came back from a knee injury and he beat Roman Reigns at Money in the Bank in 2016 for the WWE Championship. And this in Roman packing for his 30 days vacation. For the ones that don't know, Roman Reigns got popped for a wellness policy in 2016 and they were doing a whole build up for the Shield, all three of them, uh, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, and AEW to fight over the WWE Championship at Battlegrounds. That was the match, and it did happen, but the buildup wasn't all three men. It was only Seth Rollins and Dean because Roman got popped, and that was like a big thing in 2016. We were all trying to figure out how did Roman get popped because Roman's like their big franchise player guy, but 
you can go back and look into that yourself. Uh, you can tell that Seth's trying to get underneath Roman's uh, skin with this, and it's not working. Roman says, you know what? That's all water under the bridge. I'm in God mode. Then you see Seth bring up the moment in which he betrayed Roman the worst, and he talks about cracking the chair in Roman's back in 2014 when he broke up the shield. You see Roman looking stunned, and he just looks down at the mat. This is the first true glimpse of knowing you got Roman's goat. Whenever you can get Roman's goat, it's a good thing because it's hard to get his goat. And Seth knows exactly how to play Roman like a fiddle, like he said he would do. Whenever you talk about the shield, especially whenever Seth does it. Seth does it because Seth knew Roman. He knew John Moxley, Dean Ambrose the best. He was with them. They built up the shield from nothing into something. And it just got Roman's whole thing. And he talks to about how he manipulated Roman and how... If he didn't do that for Roman, Roman wouldn't have catapulted into the main event star that he is now, flying around in private jets, making the big-time money. He did all that for Roman Reigns' good. And he tells Roman, point blank, listen, I still love you, brother. Roman looks at Seth and says, you know what? I have been trying to forgive you for breaking up the shield. And he tells him, point blank, I can't forgive you for that. And he straight up point blank, just like Jay did it to Roman in 2020. He tells Seth, I hate you with a whole lot of venom and vitriol in the hate you. Seth just laughs at him and tells him, listen, you're going to hate me more tomorrow when I beat you for the Universal Championship. And then he starts telling Roman how you think I'm a joke, but you're really the joke. Your family's a joke. Your title reign's a joke. Your father's a joke. Your uncle's a joke. Your whole bloodline's a joke. And then he gets in Roman's face and starts laughing at him. And Roman pushes Rollins and he tells him, you think this is funny? And you can see that Roman is completely pissed. Roman is completely pissed. He's trying to calm himself down. He does. He walks past Seth and he tries to think he can get the one-ups man on Seth when he does this. Because as soon as he walks past Seth, he stops and he tries to Superman punch Seth behind the back. But... Rollins sensed this, he ducks out of the way, and Roman misses it, and he stumbles onto the ropes. And Roman has to look at Rollins as Rollins, like, sticks his tongue out at Roman and then slides out of the ring. So this tells you that Rollins is really living rent-free in Roman Reigns' head, leading into their match tonight at the Royal Rumble. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now onto AEW Rampage. Rampage was Championship Friday with both the TBS Championship and the Tag Team Championships being defended that night. First match of the night is John Moxley going against Anthony Bowens with Max Caster in his corner. Moxley does win the match by pinfall when Moxley hits the paradigm shift on Bowens for the win. After the match, we see Mox celebrating his win in the ring and then we go backstage and we see Brian Danielson looking at the monitor and you just see him just staring at it he smiles and he turns and looks into the camera and smiles at the camera then looks back at the monitor and stares at Moxley and just smiles right there then looks back at the camera and then walks away Brian is subtly letting people know that we're going to get that match between John Moxley and Brian Danielson somewhere down the line, but he's already laying that foundation right there, getting the fans' mouth salivating for that matchup. After this, we have a little backstage situation where Andrade uh, El Idolo 
with his handler, Jose, is trying to find Darby Allen. He finds him in a locker room. He Andrade is trying to get Darby Allen to work for him. He says, where's your boss, Sting? Darby laughs at him and says, you really think I work for Sting? Andrade says, yeah. So Darby has to tell him, listen, I don't work for Sting. I don't work do this for money. I'm just a guy that just likes doing this. But here's the deal. I'm not working for you. So you can get out of here. You can take that contract along with you. He tries to get up out of his chair, but Jose like pushes Darby back down into his seat. So Darby goes behind his chair, picks up the black bat, and he's like threatening Jose and both Andrade. Andrade says, relax, you need to take it easy. Relax. I'll talk to your boss and I'll get everything smoothed out. So he still thinks that Darby works for Sting. He ain't trying to listen to Darby because he sees Darby as a kid. Anyway, we go to the tag team matchup. Next is FTR with Tully Blanchard in their corner going against Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson with Arn Anderson in their corner. FTR does win the match by pinfall when they hit the spike pile driver on Lee Johnson for the win. The spike pile driver is a tag team finisher that both Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard used to do when they were a tag team called the Brain Busters in the WWE back in WWF, probably about the late 1980s. Uh, there was two great moments in this match. The first moment was whenever Brock and Dax Hardwood had a face-off and they both start to pull moves out of Arn Anderson's playbook. Dax is a great proponent of Arn Anderson. He looked up to Arn Anderson him and his partner, Cash Wheeler of FTR, they both looked up to both Tully and Arn. So Dax really played into the Arn Anderson playbook, while Brock Anderson is the son of Arn Anderson. So you're going to see him do moves like his father. So seeing the mirror moves of Arn Anderson was a great little homage to Arn in that retrospect. The second great moment of this match was whenever Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard got face to face, and Arn hit Tully in the face, and then Tully fell down. It was a great moment to see both of them because we have been pandering. Well, we have been clamoring for Arn and Tully to finally get in each other's face since, I believe, what, in late 2020. They got face-to-face, but nothing ever came above it. So this is the first time we actually got to see them actually get face-to-face and some type of action came about it. So again, great moments to have in this match. After this match, we had a TBS Championship matchup. Is Jay Cargill with Smart Mark Sterling in her corner, defending her TBS championship against Julia Hart with Griff Garrison in her corner. Remember, Julia Hart is still wearing an eye patch for whenever Malachi Black sprayed her in the face with Black Mist. Uh, Julia tried to put up a good fight against Jade, but Jade was the better woman of this night. Jade won the match by pinfall when she hit Julia with Jaded to win the match. No more needs to be said. After this, we had the main event, the AEW Tag Team Championships on the line with Private Party with Matt Hardy and the Blade in their corner going against the champions, Jurassic Express with Christian Cage in their corner. Just want to point out the Gun Club, Austin Gunn, Colton Gunn, and Billy Gunn were in the front row watching this match. Jurassic Express does win the match by pinfall when they hit the Thoracic Express for the win on Mark Quinn. The Thoracic Express is whenever... uh. Uh, no, no, no. Luchasaurus uh, hits a back suplex, but basically lifts Quinn up, flip him over, and Jungle Boy catches him for a powerbomb. There you go. It's much more cool when you look at it on YouTube. Anyway, they do that. They get the win. 
Great tag team match between these two. They have great chemistry. Private Party and Jurassic Express always have a good match. Uh, if they have a bad one, it's not coming to my head, but they always are able to pull out good in-ring chemistry between these two teams. However, after the match, we got the Gun Club getting in the ring and attacking Jurassic Express. Billy Gunn was able to take out Christian Cage when he threw Christian into the steel steps on the outside, which allowed his sons Austin and Colton to hit both Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus with the AEW Tag Team Championships, laying them both out. And the final picture that you see on AEW Rampage is Austin and Colton holding up the AEW Tag Team Championships. And that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, with all that out of the way, let me give you my Royal Rumble predictions for tonight. Becky Lynch to retain her championship over Dewdrop. Becky isn't losing the belt tonight. I don't see it happening. If it happens, there'll be a big shocker to me, but WWE isn't doing that. Uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix defeating Miz and Maurice. This is going to be the first time we see Edge and Beth working as a team. We already seen Miz and Maurice work at the team whenever they beat the team of Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella in the, what was that, I believe 2018, yeah. I believe that was Hell in a Cell 2018. Uh, So this is going to be Edge and Beth's first time as a couple in the ring, and they're going to get the win off of this easily. Roman Reigns is going to retain the Universal Championship and beating Seth Rollins. This is going to be his first time beating Seth in a championship matchup. They're not going to have Roman lose to Seth just because Seth is playing these little mind games with Roman. Roman's going to overcome it, beat Seth, and wait for his challenger at WrestleMania, where I think, personally, Roman Reigns is going to lose the championship at WrestleMania. The biggest stage of them all. What other type of feat, especially when Roman calls himself a god in god mode, you got to beat a god in the biggest stage so he can really be dropped down to a mortal. So I see Roman losing the championship at WrestleMania. To whom? I'll get to that in a minute. I see Brock Lesnar retaining the WWE Championship over Bobby Lashley. I would love to see Lashley win the WWE Championship. Let's not get me wrong here. I would love to see Bobby beat Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. I just don't think WWE has faith like that in Bobby. I don't, especially whenever he has to go against another marquee name like Brock Lesnar. I don't see WWE like giving the WWE Championship or the ball back into Bobby's hands. Well, especially with him having to go against Brock Lesnar. I don't see WWE having that much faith in Bobby like that. I know I do personally, but I'm going off of what I know how they kind of maneuver. So that's my opinion. I think Brock is going to retain the WWE Championship over Bobby, but I think it's going to be one hell of a match. The same thing with Roman and Seth. Those two matches are going to be completely like, those are ones that you're really going to want to mark down on your list as one of the matches of the year's contenders already. Those two matches. I already have a feeling for it. Now, the women and men's Royal Rumble. Let me list you off the names so far that have been counted off into the women's Royal Rumble, if I can. We have Rhea Ripley, Nikki A.S.H., Dana Brooke, Carmella, Queen Selena, Tamina, Shotzi, Natalia, Aaliyah, Naomi, Shayna Baszler, Charlotte Flair, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, Lita, Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly, Summer Rae, Mickey James, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Sasha Banks, and Sonya Deville. Those are only 23 out of the 30 entrants. As you know, there are always surprises. There's shocking returns. It's been speculated and rumored that they're trying to get Ronda Rousey to be a 
person to participate in the Royal Rumble be a shocking return, and they probably might be thinking for Ronda to win the Royal Rumble. Certain people are hoping that Bailey comes back and Oscar comes back for this Royal Rumble. I don't know. I could see Oscar coming back, and I could see Bailey Ronda Rousey thing. That's a big question mark for me, but we'll see tonight. For me, I'm placing my bet onto Bianca Belair. I think that they're going to have her run the gamut, not really run the gamut, probably come in probably about a good 16, 17, or even 20, probably win the Royal Rumble. That's my bet. I don't think they're going to have her do it the same way that she did last year where she ran the gamut. I think she was like number two or number three, and she ran it and was lasting in that match for 57 minutes. So she's the longest reigning woman to be in the Royal Rumble. They already marked that down too. I think she's going to win the Royal Rumble this year year. Now for the men. Let me list you off the participants that have been listed. Angelo Dawkins, Montez Ford, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, Austin Theory, Johnny Knoxville, Sheamus, Damian Priest, AJ Styles, Big E, Happy Corbin, Mad Cat Moss, Sami Zayn, Kofi Kingston, Kevin Owens, Omos, Randy Orton, Riddle, Chad Gable, Otis, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, Rick Boogs, and Ricochet. Those are the 25 out of the 30 so far. As I said before, even with the women, somebody might come back as a shocking return, or somebody that has been injured will probably be pulled up, well, be brought back. Or they might even call up an NXT little, uh, not a little guy, but NXT guy, bring him into the Rumble just to see and let the fans get a uh, scope of an eye of what the person looks like and see how he does on the main roster. My surprise entrance guess is I think they're probably, probably, pull up either a Carmelo Hayes because he's not doing nothing right now he gotta wait until like uh uh NXT Vengeance Day and that's whenever he goes against uh Cameron Grimes for the North American Championships but I think having Carmelo Hayes in this Royal Rumble will do great for him Braun Breaker he's already was on the WWE live uh experience or when they had their uh tour over there in Europe so I wouldn't be shocked if they bring Braun Breaker in those are my two guesses for them to bring in for this uh, Royal Rumble, they're not going to win. They're just going to have them be shined up on main television. Um, but the winner, I'm going to say AJ Styles. Out of everybody in this thing, AJ is the one that really pops out to me. No disrespect to Big E. Big E was WWE champion. I don't think they're going to have him win the Rumble. I don't see it. I think they're probably going to have AJ because AJ is a guy that needs something to do. And it's been a minute since he's held the WWE championship. So I think he's going to do that. And I think personally, I think he might even go over to SmackDown and probably try to beat up on Roman Reigns, to be honest with you. Because if you look back, he never really got to beat Roman for the WWE Championship in 2016. When his matches with Roman, he always comes so close. They will have these banger of matches. I mean, it was, uh, I believe, Payback and Extreme Rules. Those were the two matches that he had with Roman, and they both were not even close to hitting misses. I mean, them, I mean, those two were knocking it out of the park. Both of those matches. Me, personally, I like their Extreme Rules match a way, just a little bit more better, but both of those matches were chef's kiss. I mean, by God. Um, I would love to see them do it again, but especially with this time being a newer version of Roman Reigns, God Mode Roman. Oh my God, you mean to tell me that we're going to get Roman and AJ at WrestleMania, the biggest stage, and we're going to get God tier 
Roman, not this is my yard, Roman, but God tier Roman to go against phenomenal AJ Styles. Oh, dog, that'll be magnificent. So I'm putting money if I had to put money down, but I put AJ to be the winner of this. And that is my Royal Rumble predictions. I will be back. Uh, well, I'll be back tomorrow and you'll get my Sunday episode, but I'll be back to talk about Royal Rumble on Monday. You'll be getting that episode on Monday. But with all that being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. Uh, you can check out my Twitter at, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2CentsPodcast, G2. You can email me at My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. Remember, that email is open and available for anybody that just wants to talk to me about anything, whether they feel fast, sad, depressed, any type of emotion that you're feeling that you don't know that you can't talk to anybody else i am here i don't need anybody to be transitioning out of here i need somebody to be here to talk to i am here for you i'm on the apple podcast google podcast Podbeam, amazon music and audible for allowing me to be me allow me to say what i wanted to say and just being able to rock with me thank you for that uh with that all being said this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 I love you all. I hope to hear, see, well, I hope that you listen to my episode tomorrow on Sunday. But if not, I will be back with the Royal Rumble uh, results and what happened on the Royal Rumble on Monday. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.